this is a Christian podcast now, Rachel. You have to stop. We're gonna lose our ranking. You can't, like that. you can't you can't be a top one hundred Christian podcast and actively flick off your co host. This is the absurd journey of three church planners reintroducing familiar ideas in unfamiliar ways. This is the Bless Up Podcast. All right, welcome back. This is the Bless Up Podcast. I'm Rachel. Uh, well, I'm here with in studio with Corey. Um, but Question James, mark. <laughs> but James is calling in. James is calling in. Uh, but from I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> James, uh, what happened? Uh, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> I was, we were at a pep rally, and I was jumping, and this <laughs> small kid jumped on my foot, and he like went down as I was going up. Oh, and I and I just strained my calf muscle. Like, did you fall? No, I didn't. I didn't fall. Thankfully, that's, that's good. That would have been way more. That would have been, dude. That would have been. Super you, you'd have had to quit your job. <laughs> You couldn't have gone back, bro. You were going to high school. Like, you could not have gone back. Wait, so this literally, like, just happened right before you were supposed to come down? Yes, yes. <laughs> this, is, this is fresh. I don't like, know. Is, I don't so know why. So you're laid up? Yeah, yeah. When you yeah, said you I hurt yourself. With ice. Yeah, and and a sleeve of Oreos. No. I, I wish. Well, I've got peanut butter M&M's. So, oh, yeah. there, there we go. go. There, you go. there we go. I, I just assumed it was like a, a typical old man injury, like you got a Charlie horse or something. I didn't realize that a, that a child stepped on you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's embarrassing in my <laughs> head. It wasn't that long ago that I was in high school, but it was. And it's more embarrassing that as as their teacher, you got caught jumping at the pep rally. <laughs> I feel like is the more. It's uh, I was so. I was. I was so hyped. Like we, my like particular like CBCA is kind of like Harry Potter. So we have different houses. Uh-huh, Hogwarts. And my right. house was, yeah, my house was cranking. So I was like, yes. I started jumping. And the kid just, he jumped. He was coming down and I was coming up. And <laughs> yeah. It's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, James, I hope your leg heals well. I hope that Julia hits the corner store and gets you some snacks. I don't. I hope it serves as a reminder for our age, bro. Yeah, well, bro, I don't. You got to put I'm these tra- things away I'm actively, now. Dude, I'm actively trying to not be like OAB. <laughs> I'm, I'm actively not trying to be old, angry, and black. So, like, which is, it's a struggle. I wake up that way now. So, I'm trying to not, yeah, not. Tell kids with my life to get off my lawn. It's so. <laughs> <laughs> fair, but now you're going to need a bubble at every pep rally. Every pep rally, I'm just going to the back. <laughs> All right, well, let's just jump. Let's jump into our topic. So we finished up our our first ever series. You're way too proud of that. Listen, I am. That was the most organized we've ever been because um, we, in fact, made a plan. <laughs> so we finished that up. We're kicking off in something near, new. In your history of Bless Up. Yeah. <laughs> and so now we're back to not having a plan. So we'll see where today goes. As is evidenced by the three minutes of talking about James's calf. 
like you got to have a question for us, Rach. <laughs> I do. I Get do. us back on track. I do. I do. Okay, so what is today's question? What is the longest you've ever waited for something? What is the longest you've ever waited for something? Could be a line. Um, could be like a series dropping. Uh, could be. I mean, I know you guys waited forever for Kanye to drop. Whatever it was that he kept like teasing for, I don't remember which album it was. Every album, his last four albums. Yeah. yeah so, Pablo. what is? Well, yes, yes, Life of Pablo. That's the one I was thinking of. So, what is the the longest you've ever waited? Um, tell us about it. <clears throat> well, I mean, here in Northeast Ohio, we have a we have a regular summer tradition of venturing just a little bit west of what I actually consider to be Ohio. Um, into Sandusky to visit uh, Cedar Point. Um, <clears throat> and Cedar Point is full, is an amusement park um, and a water park full of all types of attractions, but most people go there for the roller coasters. James, are you a roller coaster kind of guy? I am not. I've right. seen Max get stuck on the top throw tracks at once. And that so. Was- so funny. I literally am about to talk about the top thrill dragster. So Wait, the- Max got stuck? He was in the top thrill dragster and they got stuck at the top. <sighs> That'd be terrifying. Yeah, so I I was in line for the top thrill dragster. I I want to say I'd I'd have to I'd have to check with my guys on this one. I want to say that it was the year it came out, like the year that it like got to Cedar Point. Cause it was like the new hot thing and it was the longest line. And like, we had passed it up a couple times because of how long the line was thinking like, Oh man, like that's, that's wild. Like let's go hit other stuff and wait for that line to die down. And it just never did. Cause it was like the newest, hottest thing at the park. So finally we got in line for it and we quite literally waited hours like hour it was at least two it felt like nine but i don't think that that was possible so like it was somewhere between two and nine hours that we waited for the top thrill dragster right and everybody getting off is like gassing this thing like hyping it up like bro so crazy so like a big hill i i don't have time to explain (laughs) it to you but it's basically like as fast as you can go without without like passing out it's basically like the the appeal of the top thrill dragster. Okay, it's the best way I could put it. Um, also, is why I got fired from Cedar Point's marketing team. Um, just kidding, I never held that position. But <laughs> anyway, so we so we're in line and we finally get up to like we are next. We we are next on the top thrill dragster, and it just so happened to to work out where you know based on where the line was, I was gonna get to be like in the front or second row, which is like really exciting on roller coasters. It's like the best place to be. And then it started to rain, and they shut the whole ride down and didn't open it back up, and I was devastated. And it still holds a special place in my heart to this day for so, that reason. So you waited between two and nine hours to go get in line for another ride? Yeah. <laughs> it's really depressing. Yeah. It really didn't pan out the way that I yeah. like wanted that to pan out. That's super disappointing. Yeah. Thank <clears throat> Yeah. James, what about you? Um... I mean, we live in Northeast Ohio, so I feel like I'm always waiting for, like, 
the opposite season. <laughs> so I feel like I just complained all winter about how I wanted to get warm. And then yesterday I was really upset that I was sweating when I was walking out of school. <laughs> so, so I think I'm just um, perpetually waiting on the next season. But what comes to mind is there's this, yeah, when I was a freshman in college, my main man, my main man, Eddie, he's, I tell these stories like he's a mystical character. He's a real individual. <laughs> he's been on this podcast. This yeah. He's been on this podcast and like he exists and this stuff really happened. Eddie just pulled up to the dining hall. He was in the process of using all our guest passes. <laughs> uh, so it was one. It was Shout out to Miss Kathy. Shout out to Miss Kathy. Still chasing people. No, she retired. Miss Kathy retired. Yeah, like just this year, she she retired. She will not be back in the calf. Dang. Anyway, Miss Kathy, Florida, Florida. Good for Miss Kathy. So Eddie, man. So Eddie, this day he just grabbed me and Max and Lawrence, and he said, "Hey, follow me." He said, "I need to show you something." So normally we would get into his car, his Corolla that was covered in stickers. <laughs> but that day he was like, let's just walk. And I had never like, going to Malone was my first encounter with Canton. Growing up, I thought Arlington Road was Canton. <laughs> I, thought, I thought Green was Canton. <laughs> but I like, Eddie's like, just walk. He's like, let's just walk. So we started walking and we walked from Malone on Cleveland and 25th all the way down to where the old Refuge Hope was at. Oh, wow. Fourth Street. So we walked. We walked all the way down there. And the whole time, like, Eddie was just telling us stories about Canton and uh, stories about Malone, stories about everything. And it started to get a little dark and I was just like, I don't know where I'm at. This is ridiculous. I was waiting to figure out what happened. And then we just went to the alley, like the back entrance of the Refuge of Hope. And there's just this dude in this this puffy zip-up jacket, the vest kind. And he was just, he was preaching. I still to this day, the best, the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. He was preaching it. He had a bag of McDonald's. Double cheeseburgers. He preached the hardest sermon I've ever heard and handed those cheeseburgers to homeless dudes. And Eddie was right. That That's what we were waiting on. We were waiting to see that. But Eddie didn't know that was going to happen. I, I don't know. Like, maybe he did. I don't know. Yeah. Then we walked back to campus. We didn't even get a ride. Then we walked back to campus. I was waiting to find out what was going to happen. And that's what happened. I heard still to this day the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. It sounds like it sounds like basically every adventure with <clears throat> with Eddie and that other guy featured in the story <clears throat> of like <laughs> you never you never really know like what you're actually getting into until you're into it, and then it's wild. It's, it's wild. Man. I'm glad I was there. So your waiting had a little better culmination than Corey's. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm super pregnant, so the only thing that comes to mind with waiting for me 
is the 40 weeks of waiting that comes with pregnancy. And I don't care what anybody says. Pregnancy might be 40 weeks, but the last, the last trimester, the last 12 weeks is 40 weeks in and of itself. And the last week, the last week of waiting might be an additional 40 just in seven days. Yeah. I know what you mean. When I was at Cedar Point, it was so hot. (laughs) (laughs) You can't see, but I just threw something at him. It was just so hot, you know, and then, and then Joe, the rain came. I, you're was- muted. You're muted. I actually just turned his mic off. All right. Your mic's back on. Uh, so, okay. So waiting and in every, in every single one of these stories, here's the thing. So you're, you're waiting for your roller coaster. Um, you guys weren't just standing there. You were finding things to occupy your time. James is. James didn't even know what he was waiting for. He was just in in anticipation of something. But during that entire waiting period, you're walking and you're going somewhere. With pregnancy, mm-hmm. you can't just you unless you are unless you are on doctor's orders for bed rest. You're doing things the whole time that you're waiting. You're getting your house in order. You're getting uh, a bed set up for the new baby. In this case, like I've been doing different sorts of uh, workouts and things, trying to set myself up so that, you know, for a healthy postpartum and all of these waiting scenarios, you're not just doing nothing. You're not just sitting on a lawn chair with a bag of Cheetos looking around like, man, I hope something happens. Like you're, you're actively waiting because waiting in every scenario should be an active posture, not a passive posture, right? Like if, if you are passively waiting, then you're not engaging in anything. You're not trying to make anything happen. You're essentially, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, maybe you guys have had a different experience, but in any, in any time in my life, when I have taken a passive posture of waiting, that's when I become the most cynical. That's when I become the most angry. That's when I am like the biggest detriment to myself is when my waiting posture is passive. But when my waiting posture is active and I'm engaging in the process and I'm doing something to make the end result arrive, it's such a better experience of waiting. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. And it reminds it reminds me of Moses and his life cycles. Because Moses is a prince of Egypt, and he sees the Israelite being beat up by the Egyptian soldier. And he goes out and kills the Egyptian soldier, and he runs away to the land of Midian. And he stays there for forty years. And as he's there, like before he has the experience with the burning bush, he meets a guy named Jethro. He marries his daughter, and Jethro gives him a job as a shepherd, so he's tending the sheep. And then as he's tending the sheep, God speaks to him through the burning bush. He goes back and he performs the miracles, the plagues happen. And then right as he finally gets freedom from Pharaoh, he's about to cross the Red Sea. Pharaoh and the soldiers are coming. They're at the edge of the water. What does God have Moses do? He has him raise his staff. The act of a shepherd raising a staff is the shepherd gathering the sheep. It's a sign to the sheep that 
the shepherd saying it's time to move and it's time to go. And the reality is, in that moment, God had to lift the staff, letting the people of Israel know that even though there was a sea in front of them, that it was time for them to go. And over the next 40 years in the wilderness, he would shepherd the people. It's like uh, Mother Hoops would always say, nothing's ever wasted in the kingdom of God. But during that 40 years, how would Moses know that his future was going to be doing the exact thing that he was doing? Seeming like, yeah, he was wasting his time. That's super interesting. And, you know, like what a sign of Moses raising his staff like that. Because, you know, we as... Christians in the 21st century, like we read that story and we read about Moses's leadership and like we, we like think about Moses as this triumphant leader that God sent in and he sent the plagues and he did these amazing acts through Moses. But like, who was Moses to the Jews in that time? Moses, they knew him as the Prince of Egypt. They didn't know him as their leader and the person they should follow, right? Like they're getting reintroduced to Moses upon his appearance back in Egypt, suddenly with a beard and some garments and a staff, like they're used to seeing him groomed as an Egyptian in royal attire, right? So like God has to act through Moses to show the Jewish people, to show the Israelites that they can trust Moses and that they can follow him. And so it's almost like the way you're describing that, I've never heard it this way, but the way you're describing that whole instance is almost like the moment where God was saying to the Israelites, this is your shepherd. And I've never, I've never heard it that way before that just dawned on me as you were talking. Yeah. And it's, Moses goes from being like this king of Israel to being a shepherd. And that's like in many seasons of stepdown. I feel like as we think about like seasons of waiting, most times, at least in my life, like when I know I'm in seasons of waiting, I'm constantly asking God, like, what is this season for? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like for me in my head, I'm like, <clears throat> I know something's coming, something's like, God, you're going to do something, but. Like in the season of waiting, it's what. But the reality is, like our seasons of waiting, God works on us so they can work through us. Mm-hmm. Because I, I just don't believe, at least from my life examples, like God works in me and on me, like before He works through me, always. Yep. And I only see that in retrospect. It sucks in the season. I only see, I only see that in retrospect. Absolutely. That's always how it's happened with me. I was having a conversation with somebody recently and their um what they were saying was like was like honestly I'm just I'm just in a place right now where I'm just like waiting for God to like show me what's next. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to figure out where God wants me to be in this next season and all this kind of stuff and somehow throughout the course of our conversation we got to the point of asking the question like well who does do you know who God says that you are? Hmm. Like who do you know what God thinks about you? Do you know what God, um, who God has created you to be? 
And, you know, what's interesting to me about the Moses passage that, that you shared is that, like you're saying, like, it is out of who he had guided Moses to become that he used Moses to do, you know, his, what we ultimately remember him for doing, Mm -hmm. right? It was out of his acts of becoming a shepherd and did he become a shepherd to, you know, be the, per, perhaps like he spent 40 years becoming a shepherd for just that exact moment. Yeah. Now we know that he didn't, right? Because he goes on then from there to like <laughs> shepherd the people through the wilderness and all, you know, all kinds of ridiculousness after that. Um but I think the, you know, to just reemphasize like what you were saying, James, is that is that like so often the um, what we're moving towards in the uh, in this next season, the waiting, the quote unquote waiting phase is not just sitting in a, on our hands waiting for instruction. Yeah. Right. Like if you have employees at work and you catch them not doing anything and you're like, what are you doing? And they're like, ah, I'm just waiting for you to tell me what to do next. Is that an acceptable answer? No. Nah, not never. <laughs> like, I would have never gotten away with that, right? Like, the reality is, like, the waiting is actually, like, the building and the becoming of who God is, who, who God has created you to be, who God sees you as being, and who God wants you to become, and that and a lot of times like the answer to what's next or what would you have me do is not <clears throat> is not out of like an instruction or a command, but out of an identity that only he can give you. I feel like the seasons of waiting that have been the most difficult for me are the ones where I have eventually come to realize that I have unknowingly found my entire identity in my productivity. Like I am a results driven person. And if I'm not doing something that feels active and that feels exciting and that feels like it's helping somebody or something, or it's, or it's helping to move something go forward. Or, you know, if I'm not seeing results then I feel like I'm contributing nothing. And that has made some of my waiting seasons the most unbearable. Mm-hmm. But the lessons that I've learned in those points in time are, are the lessons that I feel like have been some of the most, had some of the greatest impact on me. And that is that my worth and my value and my identity do not come from my productivity and they they certainly don't come from my employment status. Mm-hmm. Like some of the toughest seasons in my life have been the seasons where I've had to quit a job or I've lost a job. And then I feel like I'm just sitting there waiting for my next job or waiting for my next the next title that will be bestowed because right that's what comes with a job, right? Is a job title. Mm-hmm. You get a purpose, so to speak, when you have a job. And the the seasons of waiting in between jobs previously uh, were were painful for me. It wasn't until uh, it wasn't until I quit my job in 2020 that I actually sat in an employment gap and wasn't miserable because for the first time I think I had finally 
realize that my identity and my worth was not wrapped up in my productivity and my position. But it took me a long time to learn that. And then even when I started the interview process for the job that I hold now, um, it was a long process. But one of the first things that I told myself, even when I submitted that application, was, uh, God, don't, don't give me this job if my identity is going to be wrapped up into it. Like, don't let this be a yes if this is going to become just another thing that defines who I am. And it, I mean, that, that changed everything going through the whole interview process, which took almost like four, four or five months, I think. I don't remember. It was a long process. Um, but that was the first interview process that wasn't grueling for me because I realized the yes or the no that was given at the end of it was not something that was going to define me. And that, that I can honestly say that's the first time I've ever gone through an interview process where I didn't feel like I needed the validation of the yes at the end of it. Mm. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that just kind of like pops in my head is, as, as you were talking is the, is the parable of the talents where, you know, the, the master gives, his, gives to each of his servant a different, a different amount. And based on, based on what they did with that amount while he was away, mm. what he came back to, he gave incrementally more. Yeah. Um, with the exception of the person who did absolutely nothing with what they were given, right? Buried it. Essentially the one person like hit it and said, I waited for you to come back. Mm-hmm. And the master was upset at that person. And I just wonder how many of us are like in that phase of like, of yep. like, I'm just trying to hold on to like what I have until you come back, not realizing that the master's going to be upset when they come back because we did nothing with what he gave us and the doing nothing came from a, a misunderstanding of who his master was. Right. I think he says something to the effect of, um, you know, I, I, I thought he was like a cruel master. Yeah. Or I, I know you're, you're a harsh, you're a harsh master and, and that you will not have wanted me to like lose it or whatever. But he's like, dude, you could have like, you could have at least like put it in, put it in a bank yeah. and got interest on my money, you know? Um, so it came from a misunderstanding of who God was. And it came from a misunderstanding of like how his master saw him specifically. And I just think that that like speaks really well to a lot of us who are like, who do feel like we're in this in-between season. That feels like to be a really common thing as I talk to people lately, maybe it's cause like graduation just happened, right? Yeah. Like we're in this like in-between phase of like trying to figure out like i'm not already where i want to be but i'm also like not just learning like i'm kind of like in this weird in this weird phase or job transitions for us family transitions like whatever it is and we're just kind of like waiting um you know a good way to spend your waiting is learning more about who god is and how he sees you because that will inform what you do with what he's given you. First of all, it tells you what he's given you. And then also informs your actions on how to invest what, what he's actually um, imparted into you. You know, the thing that's really coming to mind right now for me is um, I, I attended this conference. It was an online conference because it was over the course of COVID um, I don't specifically remember when it was, but the main speaker on it was uh, a, a pastor out in California. Her name is uh, Bianca Oltoff. 
And she did this time of like Q&A and what she was like speaking on throughout the conference was just like encouraging people to uh, basically to like go for it. Like don't sit on your hands and go for it kind of thing. And, um, you know, during the Q&A, I submitted a question and I just asked the question, like, what do you um, like, what would you say or what would be your encouragement for somebody if they um, feel like they have like so much brewing inside them and so much they want to offer, but no opportunities are presenting themselves. And, you know, I was expecting her to like, you know, give some great uh, speech or response on like, you know, waiting with anticipation or whatever. And man, she rebuked the crap out of me. Um, I mean, she doesn't know me. She has no idea who I am. So it's not like this was like a personal thing. It was just, it was, but definitely was a rebuke of the spirit of my question. She basically was just like, there's no such thing as no opportunity. Like there, there's absolutely not. Um, she's like, if you feel like you're a person who's gifted in writing and you want to write, then do you have a social media page? Right. Um, she's like, if you feel like you're a person who uh, has a word from God to share and you want to share it, um, but you're waiting for someone to just hand you the mic, uh, at some place, that's not going to happen. So you think if you think you're a good teacher, start volunteering because I guarantee the high school programs somewhere in your area, in your church or whatever, are looking for volunteers. Go and start speaking to them because nobody's going to be more honest with you about if you're terrible at something than high schoolers. Amen. Right. So she's like, you want to grow? Start in the places that that you're going to grow. I mean, she just like she absolutely rebuked the idea of no opportunity. She's like, it's, it's, we're living in a time when there is nothing but opportunity. All you have to have is an email address to have opportunity. Because if you have an email address, you can start a blog, you can get a social media page, you can start a podcast, you can put it, you can do anything. So there is no such thing as no opportunity. She's like, everywhere that I can, everywhere that I look is looking for volunteers. There's opportunity. So she, I mean, she basically was just like, there's no such thing as no opportunity. Um, there's just a, a, a fear of starting or you don't have the will and the desire to actually get started. And I was just like, dang, <laughs> but I mean, but she's right. Like she was a hundred percent right in that rebuke and what she said. And I, I mean, I absolutely took it to heart. I started, I started doing all kinds of things. Um, in my season of waiting, because I had this idea of like what I wanted to do and where I saw myself. And, um, you know, I had a dream and a desire in my heart for a career and what I and what I really, really wanted to do and what I was passionate about. And so I just did exactly what she said. And I quit passively waiting. I quit sitting on my hands and complaining Um, and I started actively waiting. And as I started actively waiting, God grew me. Um, the things that I felt like I might've been good at a couple years ago, I got way better at because I started putting myself out there Mm -hmm. and the view of myself that I had, I had such a low view of myself 
And now I realize, like, I realize both what I bring to the table and I also realize what I absolutely don't bring to the table. <laughs> like, when you start growing in your own gifts and talents and you start actively waiting and and putting one foot in front of the other and going after things, it's so much easier to celebrate the gifts and talents of people around you. Because you're like, man, that is your lane and you're so good at that. And I'm so glad that you're so good at that because I'm so bad at that. So how can we like work together? Because I don't want to do what you do, but let's try and do this together. You know what I mean? Like it's so much easier to celebrate other people mm-hmm. when you recognize what you've got and what you bring to the table. Yeah, I think. Absolutely. Go ahead, go, go ahead, James. No, I was just going to say, like, even as I think back, like, as I think back to, like, yeah, 20, 2012, 2013, 2014, I think back to a time when, yeah, I think we all thought there was, like, an intended direction of, like, what was next. But I praise God that in the waiting, like, man, true mission and, like, true vision was born. Like, Imagine if you guys would have went, like, in a direction we all thought, like, there wouldn't be Third Street Church. Yeah. yeah. You're right. <laughs> like, You're right. Like, what what I in my heart was like, man, like, this is preparing you guys for this. I was like, I'm going to come sit, like, there wouldn't be citizens. I'd be there with y'all. Yeah. We wouldn't like, have to try. Like, Yo, once upon a time, there was a master plan for all of us to be at the same organization at the same time and form an all-star team. And we thought that has to be what we're supposed to do. (laughs) To be clear, I'm still for that if that's ever an option. (laughs) I mean, you know what I'm saying. We can still make that happen. Yeah. But man, as as I think back on that time, Austin, like, even my time at NCC, like, I could not do my job at CBCA now, which enables me to, like, which fuels the passion of, like, my community as citizens. Like, I couldn't do that if I didn't spend all the time at NCC. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no possible way. Like, I walk into school most days, and I'm like, yep, I know what this is. I did this for a long time. And I never, yeah, I never seen how God was connecting those things. Right. Man, I'm grateful. And if I wouldn't have embraced that time, like, unwillingly most times, but, yeah, if I wouldn't have embraced that time of waiting, man, Lord knows I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now. Yeah, I think... I think the key phrase that I keep hearing you guys repeat is like the active, like the active waiting, like to be clear, we're not rebuking a season of waiting or a transitional period, like transitions happen and they suck. We know. Um, But also it's, it's your posture within the waiting that like we want to offer, offer this up to. I was looking for, I was like scrolling through, I was trying to find the reference that I was looking for. I found it in John, in John 14, when Jesus is talking to uh, Thomas and Philip and he's like, he's like, look, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave you. Um, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm, I'm going to come right back. He's telling them that there's going to be an in-between period in their life. 
that there's going to be a period between the time you spend with me and the time where we get to like the day of completion, where we're ultimately going. And what he says is he said, he says, and you know, the way to, to where I'm going. And Thomas is like, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus like comes back at back at him and he's like, bruh, I am the way, right? If you know me, you know my father. Then Philip is like, well, just show us, right? Like, give us a map. Like, just show us and show it, like, to prove to us that it's enough for us. And Jesus is like, have I been with you for so long that you still don't know me? For if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And then he goes on from there in, <clears throat> in his discourse to say um, that if you, those who believe in me, will do the same things that I do. And actually, even greater works than these will that believer do. And I like that pops up in my mind, I think, for uh, for the main reason that, you know, Thomas and Philip heard that there was going to be like a waiting period. And they wanted like the hard evidence that we all want. Mm-hmm. Of like, well, just give me a map, though, of me, like where I'm supposed to go. It. Yeah, yeah. If you're not going to be in the passenger seat and be my physical navigator, then like just just give me the roadmap of like where I'm supposed to go. And Jesus's response to where am I supposed to go is, you know me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which doesn't feel like an answer. But I think that the reality is that the answer to what do I do? is know Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, then you know the things that he would do. And it doesn't have to be with the vision of a perfect picture, clear idea of where this ultimately ends up. It just has to be in response to what Jesus would do today. A response to what Jesus would do at home or when you're at your current job. Or when you're with your friends, like doing, doing the things and responding like Jesus would respond is the way that we actively wait. And what I think to, you know, kind of bring back that previous thought, what I think we'll notice about ourselves is that we will slowly begin to become more like Jesus which means we will slowly begin to become more like the selves that he created us to be, which means we will slowly begin to more accurately fill the roles that he has designed for us to fill. And the thing about God is that he's so big and he's so sovereign that even if like the route that we take isn't the picture perfect route, that if we do it with the heart of this is what I think Jesus would do, he's so big to work it out anyway. Yeah. And I just think that that's like a really important perspective for us to remind ourselves of when we're in the in-between, in the waiting seasons of like, dang, like I don't really know where I'm headed right now. I don't really know what I'm doing. Well, if you, as long as you're sitting, <laughs> you might as well be learning, um, and go ahead and learn more about who Jesus is, and that'll tell you more about who you are, and that'll lead you into who you are to become. 
which will then give the natural byproduct of what you should do. Yeah. So go ahead, James. Yeah. And for me, like what really hits what you just said is like the Jesus who's asking you to wait, he waited. Mm-hmm. And the gospel is like, it skips from his birth to when he is 30. <laughs> like, Jesus waited, but he knew he was God and he knew what he came to do, but he waited 30 years to launch his public ministry. Yeah. And in the meantime, he had to figure out how to be a teenager the way that God would want him to be a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Like the only thing we know about Jesus as a child is that his mom lost him for, for a few days. <laughs> And found him, but he was in the, in the temple. <laughs> yeah, but he was in—he was where God was. Like, oh my God! Oh, yeah, that's—that is my grace and motherhood. <laughs> that Mary lost Jesus for like days. <laughs> Imagine her waiting period. Goodness gracious! All right, so listen. If you are sitting in a season of waiting, if you're sitting in a period of life where you're waiting on answers or waiting on. Uh, what's next or uh, just waiting on the phone to ring because you've got so many things up in the air (laughs) that you just need a response on whatever it is that you're waiting on I hope that you find encouragement in figuring out how to actively wait how to not just sit on your hands and stare at the clock but to actively wait and to and to make the best use of that time all right we'll be back in two weeks what's up (laughs) 